Turn in your Bibles with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 12. So much I could, I could say, uh, but we just have a couple hours now in the Word. I'm just kidding, just kidding. Uh, we just have a few minutes, so I want to dive into the text. This is a message about unity, and it isn't because there's a problem in the church. And actually, when you want to talk about it is before there is a problem. In fact, Eric has told me this is a very united church, and there, there isn't a problem. And so it's a great time to look at how we should value unity. As Eric said, I've been a pastor since the 1800s, and so <laughs> I have seen a lot of disunity. And so I really, I really do come in as a grandfather uh, to say, value unity. You're going to be glad you did, even when there's not a problem, especially when there's not a problem. That's the time to really thank God for that. So let's turn to Romans chapter 12. This is God's Word. It's, it's holy, it's inspired, it's authoritative, it's sufficient. And there is a word here for us today. So before I read it, I want to pray and just ask for God's blessing. Lord, we are so grateful for the book of Romans. It is a special gift to the church, and it's a special gift to every individual and this local church, Lord. And we are, we are thankful for the moments we have this morning to look at these words. We ask for your blessing. May this church value unity. May this church be united. And may you use these moments, Lord, to encourage us to value this. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be looking at different verses in the last part of the letter to the Romans from the Apostle Paul. Uh, we're we're going to read a few verses in chapter 12 and chapter 13 first, and we're, then we're going to bounce around. It's going to be very confusing, so fasten your seatbelt. <laughs> Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers... By the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Chapter 13, verse 8. Paul says, owe no one anything 
except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let's walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. I think the main point the Lord wants to get across today is for us to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. The, the Spirit has created a unity and I think the Lord is calling us to maintain it. You know as well as I do, we're living during times and in a culture that is becoming increasingly hostile to the gospel and to the church. And without question, it's vital for our unity that's been created by the Spirit to be maintained because we have an enemy, and that enemy is hard at work seeking to get our minds on worldly things that will cause division. The purpose of this message, and I think the purpose of these last chapters of Romans, is to prepare us for this battle. So, back in chapter 12, verse 5, we though many are one body in Christ. That's a statement of truth. The Spirit, we are one in Christ. This local church, the members of this church are one in Christ. It's been created by the Spirit. And our calling is to value this, to see how attractive that is and helpful and important. And to value it. It's going to be tested because of sin, because of the, the schemes of our enemy. And we want to value it and maintain it and and fight for it. Over the holidays, I like to get a, a puzzle. I'm sure there's a lot of puzzle builders in here. Uh, but, but we love to get a puzzle. Sherry and I, we, we like puzzles, and, and we get different people in the family. We have a large family, and all of them live in Tennessee except for one. And... Um, <laughs> So we all get together and, and sit down, and then we have a few minutes over the holidays to just work on the puzzle. And I planned ahead one year, and I got a great puzzle I knew everybody would like because it had trout on it. We're all trout fishermen, and, and so everybody was excited about it. We had moved, so I, I 
I was a little concerned we wouldn't even be able to find the puzzle, but we found it. And uh, Sherry and I started working on it as usual. Didn't get very far, far but then two of our daughter-in-laws uh, gave us a great start during the holidays. And they, they got some hard work done and made some progress. And then when everybody left, Sherry and I started working on it. And we actually made even more progress. And it, it's thrilling when a puzzle starts to come together. We were very excited. <laughs> then after Christmas, the, the grandkids came over. And we were in our a new neighborhood because we'd moved. And we took our dog and our grandkids and the kids and went for a walk through the new neighborhood. And it wasn't long before we realized that we had left a grandchild, a four-year-old grandchild, back at the house, home alone. I wasn't worried at all about the kid. I was worried about the house. We, we were only gone for a few minutes, and it was a good thing, because it's amazing the damage a four-year-old can do in a few minutes. And one of the victims was, you guessed it, the puzzle. The puzzle that we had been building, these gifted daughter-in-laws had worked on, all the hard work, hours building it together, had been broken apart by a four-year-old in a few minutes. I said to my grandson twice, you broke my puzzle. <laughs> Sorry. It, he wasn't sincere. Something that took so much time and concentrated effort to build was broken to pieces carelessly in minutes with little effort by a four-year-old. The church is like a puzzle. It is hard to build, and it is easy to tear up. And that's why we want to look at this section of Romans. You're going to capture Paul's, Paul valued unity. And he would tell this local church and every local church to value it and fight for it. So let's, let's look here briefly at the end of the letter to the Romans and capture a value for unity and fight for it. it you, you're familiar, probably many of you are familiar with the letter to the Romans, in the first 11 chapters, he's unpacking the gospel. It is absolutely brilliant. If, if you're unfamiliar with the gospel, unfamiliar with this letter, I commend it to you. Read the first 11 chapters, and, and Paul's explaining how Christ has come, and he's delivered us from sin and death by the grace of God. It's it's beautiful. And righteousness, he teaches central to these chapters, is righteousness, a right relationship with God, being accepted by God, is a gift of His grace. You are justified in God's sight by the grace of God alone, through faith alone. But then in the last chapters, Paul begins to apply this. And he begins to make it clear that the gospel also means that believers have the responsibility to live out that, this righteousness. And that's what we're looking at. They've, they've received a gift of righteousness, and now they're called to live that out. The gospel empowers us to live transformed lives. So back in chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, looking, looking back at justification by faith, 
Looking back at the gospel, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Live as a believer, as a Christian. Live a Christ-like life in this world. And that's the context. Romans 12 then through chapter 15 is Paul's presentation of the gospel and what it looks like in the life of a local church. It's a gift to churches. In fact, his presentation of the gospel would be incomplete if he didn't apply it this way. It is it's only in view of God's mercy that, that Paul's can appeal to us to live this transformed life, but he does do that. So we are offering ourselves. We don't just worship God on Sunday morning. We worship God 24-7. Our lives are meant to be spiritual worship, and that's what he's calling us to. We're to be living sacrifice. We're alive to God, and now we worship God every day. And in chapter 13, verse 11, he says, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep. So this is like a wake-up call for the church. For salvation is, is near now. The night is gone. The day is at hand. So cast off the works of darkness, local church, and put on the armor of light. Wake up. That's what God's Word is saying to us today. You know the time. So as believers, we want to discern what, what's the time we're living in? What's it like? It, the, and we want, to, we want to remember the day of the Lord is coming. And we're eager for that day. And one day we're going we're gonna to stand before Him. And, and now we're living in this world and we discern the darkness. And we want to put on the armor of, of light and build the church for the glory of God. We want to discern the will of God because our minds are renewed by the Word. And that means that our worldview, our perspective, as we look around, it's very different. Because our minds are renewed by the Word of God through the work of the Spirit, and, and we have a different worldview. We see things different. Have you noticed that? I'm sure you have. Our, our minds have been transformed. We've been transferred by God's power to a, a new realm, a spiritual realm. We've been born again. It's different. And because of that, by the grace of God, we can practice God's will. And in, in, in chapter 12, verse 3 through 5, Paul is beginning to unpack what this renewal and transformation, what it looks like to live according to the will of God. And one of the things he gets into, he starts by talking about how there's diversity of spiritual gifts in verses 6 through 8. He looks at a local church and says, some of you have this gift, some of you have this gift. There's diversity. And in, if, if you know 1 Corinthians, uh, the church in Corinth, there was great division because of spiritual gifts. Some of you who maybe are older Christians, you may remember when spiritual gifts were an issue for division in the church 
in our country. Uh, it doesn't seem to be the case anymore. I'm not sure why, but I remember the day when spirit, you, you needed to lay low about your opinion on spiritual gifts, or you'd probably end up in an argument. In, in 1 Corinthians, it was an issue in, in Corinth. But in Rome, apparently it wasn't. He talks about it. But he's beginning to sh show the church is diverse. And even spiritual gifts God gives them can be divisive, which is so revealing. So in this section, Paul begins talking about the will of God. He starts talking about how we can be divided, how there is diversity. And he begins to encourage the church to be humble, not to think too highly of themselves, not to be wise in their, their own minds, in their own eyes. But the thing that we want to focus on is how attractive it is when a group of people that are diverse can have unity. It's a miracle. And especially in our day, things are so polarized. It is going to be so nice for people to be able to walk into this church, see diversity in all its forms in a local church, and realize, wow, they love each other. They're united together. That's what Romans is about in this last part. In the Psalms, the psalmist says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is. It's attractive. It makes the gospel attractive. Paul sees this. I, I love the church. I, I've been a pastor 39 years this, this year, and so my, my life has just been involved in the, in the church. And I love the church. I love my church, but I, I love being here and seeing the church. But I worry about the church. I worry because I see how easy it is. A, a church is like a puzzle. And there seems to be a lot of four-year-olds running around. <laughs> Churches are vulnerable, and I've seen it happen, and I, I worry about them. Carl Truman's a theologian. He wrote a book recently about the culture, talking about the difference the worldview of the culture would have. And he said, in the world of psychologized man, psychologized man, the commitment is first and foremost to the self and is inwardly directed. Outward institutions become in effect the servants of the individual and her sense of inner well-being. That which hinders my outward expression of my inner feelings is by definition harmful and to be rejected. Well, if you think about the church, that's going to be a problem. So an outward institution, in one sense the church is an outward institution. But it's not just any outward institution. As biblically defined, the church is much more than that. The church is God's household. God builds the church. What's happened here over the last 10 years, God has done. Even a local church is an expression of God's church. God builds the church. Christ Jesus Himself is said to be the cornerstone. We named our church Cornerstone to draw attention to Christ's place in the church. 
And, and then believers come together and they, they join together with Him and then this whole structure grows up into a holy temple in the Lord. A dwelling place for God in the Spirit. So you can see it's not just any outward institution. And we can't all the members make, the value, make what we value what we feel, what we want. We can't, we can't do that. We, we are here for His will. The church can never be just the servant of the individual. As much as we love to serve individuals, and the church does serve individuals, it's for the glory of God. So, Paul is, what he's doing in chapter 12 is he's looking at God's will, God's good will, God's pleasing will. So look in Romans 12, verse 9. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Now he's, he's moving towards a specific issue in this local church. There is division in that church. Unlike this church, in that church, there was division, and that's where he's going. The, the unity of the church is created by the Spirit. We are one in Christ. That's what the Spirit has done. And, and it's now our privilege and responsibility to maintain and fight for that unity, to demonstrate it. And it means living the Christian life in the context of a local church with diversity united together. That's what he's doing. We, we often pray for other local churches like you do in, in, in our service on a Sunday morning. And we will call the pastors and say, how can we pray for you? And I'm surprised how often. You know what they pray for? Unity. Especially over the last two or three years. It seems like every local church is having issues that they're having to deal with because of the culture that we're living in. And it's, it's that the culture doesn't seem to value loving one another these days. And at least in Tennessee, maybe it's not like that way this way in California, but in Tennessee, and it's, it, it comes into the church because these are individuals living in the world and so it's like we contact these pastors, how can we pray for you? And so often the case is, you know, pray for unity. Pray that, that these disagreements that mis members of our church are having, pray that we can stay united. I read an article in the Wall Street Journal recently talking about rural churches in Montana, small rural churches in Montana that were divided. I mean, looks like you can have unity if you only have 25 people in the church. I mean, they're very small, but they, it, it was just a whole article about how these rural pastors were just saying, you know, the, what's going on in society now is on the internet, it's on the news, and opinions are so strong, and it, it, it invades a local church. And the next thing you know, even, even these Small churches in remote areas are having to deal with how divisive. Th things are so political now, aren't they? 
And I'm from the South. I know it can get more divisive. You know, we, we had a civil war down there over politics and different things. And so it can be, it can be much worse, but it's very bad now. It's, as long as I've been a pastor, I've never seen so much hatred and fighting. And so it's important to think about it. And it's just the air we breathe is an argument. Doesn't it feel that way? And so as we've walked through COVID, I know you guys have done that, and um, we are very thankful that it didn't end uh, in division in the church. But, you know, I think I had 300 sermons on unity along the way. <laughs> so in, in, in chapter 14, we can just look at a, a few brief comments that Paul makes about disputable matters that I think will help us. So, just trying to grab a few principles, a few, a few things we can think about as we come into a local church, and we're different, we're diverse, we have different opinions, we have disagreements, but we're united by the Spirit, and we can, we can disagree on disputable matters and, and love each other. And so, let's see if we can pick up a few principles that will help us. He's... He's after a, a new way of living. Chapter 14, let's, let's read verse 1 down through verse 4. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One of the things I've noticed is that there are people who, I don't even know if they disagree, they just love to argue. They just want to argue. Don't, you know... As for the one weak in faith, welcome him, but not, not so that you can have an argument, to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Don't, don't miss those words. Despise. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. That should matter to us. Verse 4, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It's before his own master that he stands or falls. He will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. Don't despise, don't pass judgment on disputable matters. There's, there's a division in the church between these two groups. One Paul calls the weak in faith, one he calls the strong. And they're, they're quarreling over things like whether a Christian should eat meat or observe special religious days or drink wine. I don't know if, if, there's a, if it's a divisive issue in California about drinking alcohol. In the South, it's a, it's a divisive issue. The vibe I get here is it's not too divisive. Everybody's in agreement, seems like, on the issue. But in the South, it is an issue. And so Paul touches on this in this section. It's, it's very relevant for different reasons. The church was made up predominantly of Gentile Christians, okay? Rome was, was Gentile, and the church is there. But some of its 
members were Jewish Christians, and they, they lived in this Gentile culture, so they decided to continue some of their Jewish practices. They thought that was important. They, they thought abstaining from meat was important to protect them from idolatry. There were some good reasons they thought about this. They wanted to ma- maintain some Jewish traditions. They thought it was important to their new faith in Christ. Now, there was a, there was a self-righteousness involved. And that's often the case when there's division. Self-righteousness. They, they, these Jewish believers prided themselves in these practices. And then they condemned other members. They despised them if they didn't do things the way they were doing them. On the other hand, many of these Gentile Christians saw no value whatsoever in these religious practices. They, they were self-righteous too. And Paul actually goes after both of them, which is fun to watch. They even, that some of these Gentile Christians, they would flaunt their liberties, their freedoms from all these rules. And they were, they were also judging. They just were coming from the other side. They were looking down on them. They thought of them as weak and foolish because they're abstaining from meat and wine. And, and observing days like they mattered. And so they, they were boldly declaring their freedom and their liberty from all these things. So you can see the self-righteousness. You can see the lack of love coming from both sides. So Paul says in Romans 14, 14, I know, this is, this is the most amazing verse to me. Paul says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing, is in unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. Now, the reason it's amazing to me is, as a, as a leader in the church, he tells everybody what he thinks. He comes down, he says, this is my opinion. As a street smart pastor, I tend to not do that, you know? Guess. <laughs> But it's, it's shocking. He makes his position clear, but then it's very helpful as he walks through how that plays out. His, his opinion is that no, no food is unclean in itself. He sides with the strong. But notice that he doesn't try to convince the weak. He doesn't try to tell them, you're wrong. He, he encourages instead the strong to accept these weaker brothers and sisters. In fact, he appeals to the strong not to exercise their liberties and their freedoms for the sake of the unity of the church. That's how much he valued unity. So he comes down and he said, this is my opinion. But he doesn't try to convince them Instead, he goes after the people that agree with him and encourages them. Verse 5, chapter 14. One person esteems one day as better than the other, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. Since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains 
abstains in honor of the Lord and, and gives thanks to God. Isn't that encouraging? Down in verse 15, if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love by what you eat. Don't destroy the one for whom Christ died by what you eat. Down in verse 20, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean. That's his opinion. But it's wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It's good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, this is just sound wisdom. Keep it to yourself. <laughs> Keep your opinions to yourself. You don't have to share every opinion you have. Keep between yourself and God. So often, we don't want to do that. There's this urge. And I think our enemy is involved to, we've got to share our opinion. Like I said, I mean, sometimes there's even people that just love to quarrel. Verse 13, chapter 14, Therefore let us not pass judgment on one another any longer but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Consider others more important than ourselves. Doug Moo is a well-known theologian and kind of an expert on this letter. He said this, Paul clearly feels that the issues dividing the Christians in Rome belong in the category of things indifferent, opinions, disputable matters, Matters that are not essential to our faith and on which committed and sincere Christians may disagree. His purpose is to foster unity in the church. That's what he values by urging tolerance of one another on such issues. While the, the issues have changed, Dr. Moose says the modern church has frequently been tragically divided in the same way over non-essential matters. Let's not do that. Let's value unity. Without compromising on those doctrines that are essential to the gospel, we need to heed Paul's call to accept all those whom God accepts. He welcomes them. We were talking about Jerry Bridges at our pastor's retreat. Uh, he was a good friend of mine. Some of you may know Jerry Bridges. He's written a number of books. He wrote a book called Respectable Sins. He was actually writing it. He was at our church and we were with some of my friends and kind of hanging out with him. We were talking about it. He was saying, yeah, I'm writing this book, Respectable Sins. And one of my friends said, what, what are the respectable sins? <laughs> Mr. Bridges, who was a very humble man, very gracious, very kind, there are none! <laughs> But he was dealing, in this book, he, he talks about the disputable matters they were dealing with. He does a great job of walking through. Uh, he's dealing with judgmentalism. And so he's talking about it. He, he, you know what the, the disputable matter was then uh, that he was dealing with? And he wrote about it in the book, gave his opinion like Paul, and then, then says... I know some of my friends disagree with me. 
And he's appealing to them not to judge them. He says, I don't want to change you. The, what, they, what they were arguing about was church music. So you know there are people who wouldn't like our music this morning. Especially back in the day. I don't think it's as big a deal now. Like spiritual gifts used to be the thing. Music used to be the thing. And also how you dress. So in Mr. Bridges' days, things were getting too casual for some people. So it was a disputable matter. Isn't it interesting how, you know, what we're fighting about today, we won't be fighting about in 10 years. And again, he appeals to them from Romans to value unity and to allow disagreements and to love those who are different than you. So, my prayer is that Sovereign Grace Church of Orange would value unity and that the unity the Spirit has clearly created here, you will fight for and you will maintain for the glory of God and the sake of the gospel. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you today for your word. We are humbled, Lord, as we even consider, Lord, the gospel. In view of your mercy, Lord, we want to honor you and worship you, not just on Sunday morning, but throughout the week. So, Lord, we pray, all of us, we ask for your grace. Help us, Lord. And, Lord, I pray for this church to be strong in the strength of your might. I pray that this church would value unity and would win the war in the culture they're in to advance the gospel, make the gospel attractive through their love for one another, for your glory alone, in Jesus' name, amen.